we need to just focus on having farmers, having scientists, having everybody that's actually involved in agriculture, just speak up a little bit more and spread that information out to a wider audience. A whole new era of communication in the Canadian swine industry is coming. Now you have the brightest minds of the Canadian and global swine industry right in your pocket. And what's best? You can listen to all of them while driving to a farm, traveling, or running errands. It's never been this good, and it's never been this simple. We want to thank the innovative companies and products whose support and trust make this podcast possible. High D from DSM Furmanish can improve your pig's vitamin D status. High D offers pure, proven performance to help your pigs thrive. Our nutrition group includes four companies, Nutrition Alfina, Shakespeare Mill, Farmhouse, and Nutrition Partners, which serve swine producers all across Canada. Swine Veterinary Partners comprises four well-established clinics across Canada, Precision Veterinary Services, Premier SHP, Demeter Ontario, and Demeter Quebec. AX3 Digest is a highly digestible source of protein with a low level of potassium, giving young animals a healthy start. Welcome to the Swinet Podcast Show Canada, a weekly podcast where you'll find cutting-edge insights and everything that's working in the Canadian and global swine industry. So welcome everyone to the Swinet Canada podcast. I am Dan Columbus and I will be your host for today's episode. And with me today, I have Clinton Monchuk, who is Executive Director at Farm and Food Care Saskatchewan. So welcome to the show, Clinton. Thank you very much for having me, Dan. Yeah, we appreciate you coming on and, and to, to talk about the, the topic today, which will be communication, which I think is, is important. Uh, before we get there, though, just because some people might not have had the pleasure of meeting you yet or know who you sure. are, I'll just ask you to introduce yourself and tell us a little bit about your journey so far. Sure. So it's it's been a long one. So I'm not too sure if we can cover all of it in, in the podcast. But uh, yeah, so I, I started, I uh, grew up on a family farm uh, outside of Lanigan, Saskatchewan. Um, we had a dairy farm, beef farm, grain farm, kind of all mixed together. I uh, really tweaked my interest for the agriculture industry. So I went to school at the University of Saskatchewan. I'm an ag economist, um, I guess by profession. Um, did a few different jobs, traveled around, went to the United States and worked in Washington, D.C., worked in uh, Guadalajara, Mexico uh, for a little bit. Um, did a little stint in lobbying in, in Ottawa, which was kind of fun and trying to understand that. Then I came back and ran the marketing board for Saskatchewan Chicken and then uh, luckily fell into this job with Farm and Food Care. So I've been doing this now for about seven years, uh, the executive director of Farm and Food Care Saskatchewan. And primarily the role with us is to uh, just have conversations and, and engagement with consumers about what farmers and ranchers are doing. So it's, I like to say I've, I've been talking about farming for all my life and now somebody's willing to pay me for it. So uh, I think it's a, great, <laughs> it's a great job for me. I absolutely love it. And, and uh, I have two kids. Um, Married into a ranching family from Oklahoma, so we own a ranch down in Oklahoma as well. And uh, my kids are 15 now and 11, so it's growing. The Nutrition Athena, Shakespeare Mill, Farmhouse, and Nutrition Partners Nutrition Group offer the full range of nutritional product based on extensive research and developments and a solid team of experts all across Canada. Our objective is to provide cost-effective solutions, innovation, and support to producer from the entire Canadian swine industry. 
know, yeah, so I, I like the diverse background and experience and everything. And I think it fits very well with now, like you said, your current role and talking about agriculture. And I think the other part of it too is, you know, going out and teaching people almost how to talk about uh, their farming and their practices and agriculture, right? Because there are ways to to do it right. And there are ways to do it maybe not so right. Uh, we'll get into that a little bit later. I, I think we'll, we'll start um, with just the idea of like you gave a presentation recently on why sharing the farm story matters, right? And I think that's a good way to start and just to talk about why does it matter and why is this important? Yeah, so so the, the big thing, if you kind of look at the just the general um, demographics here in Canada, uh, you have less than 3% of the population that's actually growing the food, that's actively engaged in growing food here in this country. So that leaves another 97% that, you know, don't have that intimate experience. So as a result of that, you have some voids of information. And, and I, I made the comment during that presentation that, not only when you, you know, just the sheer fact of not seeing farms. So I, I, I did my master's in Guelph. I, I failed to mention that before, but I did my master's in Guelph. And and back in the, the day when I was taking my master's, you could actually drive from Guelph to downtown Toronto and you could see farmers' fields and, and you really can't a lot anymore. And it's it's a little bit disheartening, but I understand like the the way we're growing as a country, people are going into suburbs and, and taking up some of that farmland. But you don't actually see that. So if you live and, and you work in the, the greater Toronto area or Montreal or Vancouver, you don't even see agriculture anymore. So so if there's questions that that these individuals have, we need to make sure that we're we're kind of giving a little bit of an olive branch to make sure that, you know, we can explain some of those things that are maybe tougher conversations that um you know, no, nobody's ever taught them or told them about, right? Yeah, it's interesting when you say, you know, because I'm from the, I, I went to Guelph and I'm also from Southwestern Ontario. So to see that disappear and yeah. now it's like one big highway right from, <laughs> you know, KW to, to, to Toronto and you, you don't see anything is, you know, it's incredible. And I'm, you know, it, it might lead to like that, what's what seems to be the consumer perception that you have that, uh, the the farm with you know a, a couple of pigs and a couple of chickens and everything's <laughs> nice and happy and everything right and um, I, I guess that leads into the next question you know what is what are consumers views of the far farming practices and and how are they uh, seeing what we do yeah so so in a, in a lot of instances their views or their perceptions uh, you know it, it's it's no no different than you or me we we take information from people we value or information online that we think is a valued source and we hold that as the truth okay so so again because there's not a lot of farmers some of the information that gets fed in through our algorithms on social media sometimes it's not overly positive about agriculture but they do have questions so if you think of the the hog industry for an example they do have questions how are hogs being raised right and, and what are they eating how are they being cared for uh, what kind of medications are being used so these are questions that that they honestly want to find answers for but as soon as you go online and you put in the Google search some of those questions, sometimes bad stuff shows up, right? And and it's it's from special interest groups, uh, animal rights activists, things like that, and and it's unfortunate because 
sometimes a lot of that negative feed ends up filling in uh, the voids of information they have. So therein lies some of what, you know, the conversations we need to have with consumers in that, you know, this is actually how we, we grow hogs. This is how we care for them. Um, part of my family is, is uh, heavily involved in, in the, the hog industry here in Saskatchewan. And, and uh, I think of all the work, all the care that goes into raising hogs. And if consumers could just see that and, and you know, be able to talk to them, I think it would change their perception. But it's just trying to make those links where you can actually um, have that engagement, right? Yeah. So it's, it's interesting when you say that it's like, you know, filling in this, the void or where the information needs to happen. But, you know, at, at least my impression seems to be that it's that small group that are loud that tend to, to take over the conversation, right? We've seen that in, in other aspects, uh, in, in multiple things too, right? So how do we, uh, how, how do we combat that? Maybe combat's the wrong word. Um, or, or and I guess the other question would be like, are, are are food producers trusted by the public the way they were in the past? Right? Like, are we the 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 people that should be putting that information out there, or are yeah. we big ag? You know. <laughs> <laughs> so it's 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 interesting, and 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 uh, here's we get a lot of our research uh, done by the Canadian Center for Food Integrity, and and. Uh, some of the data that uh, the the newest data, anyways, that's talking exactly about this is is saying that you know what you do have those outliers like you had mentioned. Okay, so you have some of those radical individuals, and, and you can think about it in all aspects of our life. You can take politics, you can take uh, different ideolog- uh, ideological kind of ideas of um, medicine or stuff like that. You do have these outliers and they seem to be extremely loud, right? They're loud outlier liars. They put a lot of stuff on social media, but the bulk of Canadian consumers actually are supportive of the practices we do, or they're just not too sure. So, and by the bulk of them, I would say you're probably 60 to 70% of Canadian consumers are kind of in that middle ground where they're, they think we're, we're doing a good job. Right. They, they, they know food shows up in the grocery store. They, they kind of have trust a, a little bit anyways in, in the inspection systems and all the stuff that Health Canada and the CFIA does, if they actually understand what CFIA and Health Canada does. Um, but therein lies. So, so you have the, the, those loud individuals, but you really have the bulk of individuals that actually want to learn more. And one of the, the studies that was done, was asking, well, what percentage of Canadians are actually interested in farming practices? And it turns out 60% are interested in knowing. Now, this gets back to the second part of your question, who should be talking about this? So my first response from this is everybody in the agriculture industry should. (laughs) It, It shouldn't just be on, say, farmers. It shouldn't just be on researchers. It should be all of us. And And this is where I think we've hit a little bit of a realization in the last 10 years that prior to the the last decade, I think we were just, we were rolling on a high, right? That nobody, there was some kind of talk on the animal rights side and, and maybe some some rumblings around genetically modified foods and, and some of the herbicides or fungicides that we would use. 
but it's gotten louder in terms of maybe picking up momentum and becoming a little bit more mainstream. You see some of the, um, say, bills that are being introduced in uh, the Canadian Parliament that are maybe not always science-based, right? Or, or some of the, the influences with um, restaurants or grocery chains from outside sources that, again, are not necessarily based on science. And, and the, the information we have indicates that if you are involved in ag, so first of all, if, if you want to see a hierarchy, farmers and ranchers, they are the number one trusted source for information when it comes to your food. And they have been forever. This has not dropped. It's been about the same for pretty much ever. And as a result of that, we're really encouraging farmers and ranchers to get out there and talk to people. But when you go down the list, you see that, you know, researchers, people who are doing the development of new technologies, the the people in the field doing field work, uh, whether it's in, inspectors going out to hog barns or people in the labs, we need them to actually talk about this too. And and here is where this is probably the biggest divergence, right? And, and, um, and I know you and I have talked about this before, that sometimes when you get in a room with a scientist that has just done um, whatever, new, new data on, I don't know, loin length or something like that with, with hogs, <laughs> they go super in depth and trying to get all this information out. And it's like, whoa, 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 hold down. Hey, I, I used to grow cows, right? Like, <laughs> I, I don't know all that stuff. So, so this is one of those hurdles that we have to get through in that when we talk to people, make sure we talk their language, right? And, and it's, it's no different. And I gave the comparison of, of the, uh, the coal industry, right? If you're a coal miner, you have that perception of what they are. And, and if you actually met somebody who's a coal miner and they start talking about some of the different acronyms that they use in the industry, like you just get confused, right? You, you can't follow it. So in a similar way, we need to just focus on having farmers, having scientists, having everybody that's actually involved in agriculture just speak up a little bit more and spread that information out to a wider audience. Because the more it gets done, the more conversations we have, the more engagement that happens, just the, the better food literacy that exists throughout the country. Yeah, I mean, I mean, clearly, you know, we all have a story to tell, right? And I, and I think that's important. I think along with that, though, like you said, is how we are telling that story. And, and, and I have had times where, you know, somebody in my friend group says something that I'm just like, oh, that's not the way it is. And I try to correct them. And it doesn't go well all the time, right? So clearly, I'm doing something wrong with them. So I guess we could move into how do you how do you frame that message? And I know you said, you know, it's all about making sure you're you're speaking the same language as them. And, and that's something we tell our students, right? Three minute thesis, stuff like that. They push back all the time. I can't talk about what I do in three minutes. I'm like, well, then you need to practice because you can't, right? <laughs> but yeah. I guess the other the other part of that too. So what, you know, one is like, how do we frame that message? And then I guess, how does it change depending on who you're talking to, like who your right. audience is? Yeah, so it's so it's interesting. When I took my master's, um, uh, one of the the comments that was made by a professor was, "If you can't put it in one page to your upper management, then it's likely not going to get read." Okay, so so think about in the same idea, the three minute conversation, and we actually drilled it down at the conference to a thirty second 
like interest, an elevator speech, just trying to get some interest to draw in that conversation. That is where you can you can practice yourself. So so you know the the idea of you know what would be interesting to somebody that you meet randomly on a bus or on a plane or at a sporting event, whatever, who happens to be sitting beside you to drum up that conversation. And a lot of instances, all it takes is boom. I actually work in the food industry. Oh, wow. I eat. There there you go. Right off the bat, you have a value of food, right? Everybody values food. If we didn't value food, we'd be dead, right? So, so we have a value of food. So it tweaks the interest to kind of get going on that conversation about different aspects that you know, okay? So, so I don't know a lot about the hog industry, so I'm not going to be the expert on that. But I can talk about cattle. I can talk about my grain farm. I can talk about... Uh, how long we've been farming. I can talk about a lot of these things. And it turns out when you actually open up about, excuse me, this stuff, it is super interesting to somebody else. And I was, I happened to be, I think I was in Florida. I took my kids to Disney World and I was sitting in the hot tub and uh, this this older gentleman came in and sat beside me. And I think he was from uh, uh, upstate New York or something like that. And we chatted for probably an hour um, just about farming because he was so interested in some of these. And he had not a lick of idea of what it was like to farm in, in the prairies, whether in the United States or Canada. And we just talked forever about it. And he, he asked so many questions. And this kind of gets to the other uh, side of things. Making sure you have an engaging conversation means you're listening truly to what the questions that they have to answer them. And, and when you do this, when you have this engaging conversation, you find a lot of information comes out, but you learn about them as well, right? So, so it's got to be a two-way street. And I, I always make the comment that, you know, if you want to have a debate with somebody that's got, you know, a viewpoint over here and you have a viewpoint over here, like you said before, like they're, they're wrong about that, right? So, so you have this debate and in a debate, Somebody always loses. I've been a Leafs fan my entire life. I know what it's like to be a loser. So I'd rather have that discussion than a debate where you have winners and losers. So case in point with, with that individual that you're having that, that tougher conversation, a lot of times I actually ask, why do you think that? Why, why is it that you believe that? Is, is that? Have you seen that? In a lot of instances, they haven't, right? So that that mm-hmm. perception was based on something that they've read or they they've seen on a video, but they've never actually experienced it, right? And unless you know that's truly something where they were at a different farm, and then you can have that conversation about that. But when you truly get down to it, they're they're interested in understanding more. And when you can understand a little bit more of that process of how they think, then it kind of helps you answer some of those questions. Because really, at the end of the day, all of us who are producing food, I like to make the comment that we eat what we produce as well. I I have a cute little video of my daughter when she was I don't know, maybe four or five in the combine. And we were straight cutting yellow peas. Okay, so we're harvesting our yellow peas. Um, and she was pretty cute talking about, you know, when I grow up, I want to be a peace farmer because I love what you do and, and really <laughs> cute. But the reason why I like to play the video is because afterwards I said, you know, we ate those peas. 
we actually eat the peas that we produce on our farm. And I said, what's interesting too is 10 days before we actually uh, harvested those, we sprayed them with glyphosate, with Roundup to do a pre-harvest kill of the weeds. And I said, I love my daughter and there is nothing I would do to ever hurt her. And we consume those peas. And it's a game changer right there. No different than I know all the the hog farmers out there, they eat their own pork, right? That, that, you know, growing up, I drank my own milk. We ate our own beef, right? Like the, a lot of people don't understand that. And, and, and they have the viewpoint that, you know, you have these huge barns or this huge equipment that you're doing this and there's no way you're actually eating your own stuff. But we are. And, and that therein lies a, a, just a great message back to consumers in terms of the value that we have on our own food that we produce. We value it. We consume it. My little girl consumes it. And then that is where that link between the values of not only my family, but the values of food come in and we can have that conversation go a little bit deeper. So it's, you know, things like that, I, I think are great to, to have the, the understanding. You know, there, there's other things we can do as well, but, but having, you know, getting to the core of those values, we all have some similar values. Um, and, and that's when you can have a lot of that great discussion. Yeah, I think, like you said, a lot of people, I don't know why it's not something that they just think of that we are eating this as well. Exactly. Yeah. (laughs) Right. There's not a secret stash of food for for, for farmers and whatever that we're that we're eating and selling the rest of the public. Yeah, it's, uh, you know, get that message across. So I guess you've been doing this for a while. So I'm interested, you know, when you talk to people and you see how they're communicating in that, like, what is one thing that you see that they tend to get right? And then what is one thing that a lot of people tend to get wrong? So, so I, I think the one thing that I've, I've never actually met a farmer or a rancher who wasn't passionate, right? And, and passion th- shows through. So I think everybody gets that right. You know, when I talk to my, my uncle Florian or my cousins who, who farm on the hog side, they absolutely love the hog industry and they will talk as long as I got time about it, right? So you can, you can, Tell that passion that exists. One thing in terms that that we get wrong sometimes is how we feel we have to convince them, right? So sometimes you'll you'll meet somebody who's, I don't know, say a vegan or something, and and we feel obligated to add, like to get them to change their mind. But but that's not really what we're about. We're, We're making sure that they have the truthful information about what that, how that food is being produced. So then they don't share that animal rights video that comes the next time in their feed. And I'll give you an example of that. So, so we were doing a tour with, um, it was called the Young Professionals of Canada. Um, and we had a tour. We went to a, a big uh, uh, feedlot in, in Saskatchewan. Um, and afterwards, one of the ladies on the bus uh, came up and said, um, I just want to tell you all that, that I'm actually a vegan. I said, that's okay. I like beef. (laughs) And she said, yeah, but I want to let you know, I was super nervous about going to the feedlot today because of all the videos that I've seen of, you know, uh, the cattle industry. And I said, so what do you think now that you've been through this and you asked your questions? She said, it turns out that actually 
your level of care is what I want for a level of care in these animals. She said, that's actually a value where we connect on. The difference is you're going to eat that animal. I won't. And, and I said, that's okay. That's, that's your choice, right? We have lots of choices here in Canada. And she came away with a different point of view. And she said, you know what? I appreciate that because I've never seen that before. And it did change my viewpoint. I'm still not going to eat beef. And I said, that's fine. But she's not likely not going to, you know, share that animal rights video that comes by her social media feed next time. So, you know, conversations like that, that, you know, we get the information, we have that engagement, and it's not meant to necessarily, okay, now I'm going to, you know, buy 20 pounds of bacon and eat them tomorrow, right? It's it's more that, okay, I, I trust what farmers and the industry is doing. It's good. They're, they're doing a good job of producing pork. I like that. I can support that. Whether I, I choose to, to consume bacon or, or pork chops or whatever, that's their choice at the end of the day, but at least they have more knowledge of the industry, right? So one thing you mentioned in the in the presentation the other week, and I think it was a response to one of the the thirty second elevator pitches, right, where you talked about loaded words. Uh, mm-hmm. you, know, you know, so I think maybe just talk a little bit about what what yeah. you mean by a loaded word, and 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 what we should be doing instead. <laughs> yeah. So so and I've I've mentioned something like acronyms, or sometimes we can get into, and, and people just get deer in the headlights. But but there are certain things that you know, when you bring up the word castration, right, or tail docking, or, you know, some of these things that that like instantaneously kind of bring up a certain viewpoint or vision, like if, if and I, heck, I, I remember the cattle roundup and castrating the calves and everything like that when we were bringing in them from the, the summer pastures. I understand that. But for, for a consumer, they don't understand that as much as if you would say neuter. Right. So, so it's, you're still doing the same thing, but it's something that they could relate to and understand a little bit better. And therein lies what I would say a, a better approach to doing it. And, and, you know, granted, if you're going to do it and say, you know, we castrate and then you say it's, it's very similar to neutering. Uh, you do that with your pets. We do this as a result to, to keep the aggression out of the males. Um, you know, you can have those conversations too, but just don't leave it at that. Uh, try to have a conversation, make sure that they understand why you actually do that. Um, and safety for the animals, safety for the people who are handling them, um, all the way around. So the, the last thing I kind of wanted to touch on before we, we get to the, the final three or the take home in the final three was, you know, this um, the disconnect between what we view as sustainable versus the public. And maybe this will lead into like that disconnect between policymakers and industry, because I think that's been a big thing uh, yeah. lately, right? With the, with the push for sustainability in the, in the mm-hmm. public view. So just maybe comment on that a little bit. Sure. So so in a lot of the research that we're looking at, when people, when the general consuming public here in the country, when they see the word sustainable, automatically they think of local. And then second of all, second of all they think of organic. We know from some of the different um, uh, studies that we've done, you can definitely have local and organic producers who are sustainable, but you can also have large scale commercial farms that are, you know, three hours away from a major center that are extremely sustainable as well, right? So, so what we're trying to do is, is make sure not only consumers understand 
the technology that goes in, the new methods of uh, producing pork or grains or whatever it happens to be. We want to make sure that they understand the processes that we do to make sure we are sustainable, that we are you know, respecting the environment that we work in. We're respecting our workers. We're trying to make sure that we're growing uh, this product in a, in a way that's, um, you know, keeping food inflation, um, you know, as tight as possible. Obviously, we can't control all of that. Um, but without the, the modern, modern farming practices, and you mentioned it right off the start, you know, if you had a couple pigs and a couple chickens, you're not going to be one very profitable, so you're not going to be around very long. And two, who else are you going to feed? Right? Like you can feed your neighbor, maybe, and that's it. Well, last I checked in Toronto, not a lot of people have you know their neighbor and 50 story high rise buildings who have hogs or, or chickens um, that they're going <laughs> to actually eat right next door to them. Right? So, yep. so you, you you have to understand once you have some of those conversations that you know look at what we're doing when when we look at you know, how responsible we are for, you know, taking the manure and injecting it into the ground to make sure then that we don't have to use some of the other fertilizers. Or if we're using fertilizers, what are we doing responsibly to make sure that we're using only what we need to grow the crops that we have to do? Those are conversations that consumers don't necessarily understand. But the more we talk about it, the more, you know, and I have some graphs that show the the level of, of carbon uh, sequestration back into the soils from the practices we're doing around uh, Western Canada. Um, a lot of people, when they see that, their eyes are open thinking, I never even thought about that. I, I, I've only heard the negative. And this is where, you know, it gets to the policymakers. And um, I have to admit, I get a little bit upset sometimes with policymakers, whereby they're only looking at the negative side. They're only looking at the emissions. Well, that's true. We do emit in agriculture. We emit methane. We emit um, carbon monoxide when we burn our, our start our diesel tractors or combines, whatever it is. But we're also putting back carbon into the soil, and we're doing it through a variety of different ways. And in the hog industry, we're, we're limiting, uh, we're taking that manure and putting it back into the soil to increase organic matter to reduce the need for synthetic fertilizers. There's a lot of benefits that we're doing that people don't necessarily think of. And, and I feel that our government um, doesn't talk about that very often. And, and that is, it, it just, it kind of gets me at the heart. <laughs> and and I, I, I talk to different uh, people, whether it's in Agriculture Canada or Environment and Climate Change or Health Canada, and say, these are the conversations that consumers need to hear from you too. They, they need to hear from government the good things we're doing because otherwise you, you're kind of adding to some of that misinformation because we're not saying the full truth of what we're doing for the environment. And, and I, I truly feel that that can really help us with the public trust uh, conversation. Um, but again, uh, baby steps maybe right now with the government. <laughs> no, hopefully it works out better as we keep on going. Yeah, hopefully we could start to change that and maybe right. egg will become a little bit less of the enemy to the environment yes, than it is. Exactly. Right now, yeah. yeah. Uh, so, okay, uh, here's your chance, you know, uh, take one take-home message or two take-home messages that you want the listeners to get from today's episode. So the big thing is, uh, I know a lot of you are probably thinking, oh, yeah, this this is great. Somebody else will do it. And, and I'm here to say, no, you have to do it. And, and this can be as organic as you want. You could be um, 
you know, I, my, my son plays a lot of sports. Um, I randomly talk to different parents in the stands, uh, when I wasn't, when I'm not coaching, um, about what we do on our own farm. And I tell you those conversations, just some of those conversations that you're having one-on-one absolutely are fundamental to this whole game of, of trying to make sure that the public's trust in agriculture is increasing. Um, online is another platform. You know, just post the odd picture of what you're doing. I, I see a lot of the, the hog farmers throughout Canada do that. I think it's great. Even if you only have 100 or 200 followers, it's still getting out there. And, and I think it's great that we're doing that. We just have to all do a little bit. If we all do a little bit, it will increase trust. Yeah, no, great message. It's time for our famous three. When it comes to purity, performance, and immunity, High D has been helping pigs and producers stand strong for years. As a proven source of pure 25-OH D3 for diet fortification, High D is the fastest and most efficient way to provide pigs with essential vitamin D. One product, seven years on the market, more than 100 research trials, and millions of pigs fed. There's only one High D. Learn more at dsm.com forward slash hy dash D. Okay, so before I let you go, we have three questions that we asked all our all sure. our guests. Um, the first one, I'm going to change a little bit because we generally do swine resource, but <laughs> that, that's I not really it. your thing. So I, I got you know, I'm like, what what would be your favorite go to uh, agriculture related resource? Um, so and here's maybe my own plug to my own group, but uh, CanadianFoodFocus.org, um, absolutely great. A resource to share with consumers, uh, talks about food, gets people pulled in on the food side and tells people how that food is being produced here in this country. So CanadianFoodFocus.org. Yeah, kind of saw that one coming. There's yeah. <laughs> <laughs> another one that I probably can't predict. You know, this is, uh, you, you think of anything outside of egg, you know, uh, uh, a, a favorite book that you, you, you always go back to and re- keep reading mm. or one that you've read recently that you know, you really enjoyed that you'd recommend for. So it's interesting. I was, I just finished up a book that was, uh, had a bad word in its title, but, uh, so I can't say that on the podcast, but, um, (laughs) I, I I like to read, um, now books that kind of relate to history and going forward. So right now I'm, I'm reading up on the, the Israeli Palestine kind of, uh, conflicts of the past. I read up about the Russia, Ukraine, um, I love the history side of things. Um, so I, I read a ton of those books or listening to them in the, my truck or the equipment. Um, so it's just a variety of those different books and, and I love them. You can tell me the name of that other one once we stop recording. Yeah. <laughs> I'm interested to know yeah. what it is. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, and then our, our final question is, you know, when you look at uh, successful producers or successful leaders and mentors, right? Like what is a characteristic of those people that you think particularly really helps with their success? I think the ability to talk and communicate. Uh, and and I, I truly feel, and, and I, I think of, again, I'll, I'll bring up my own cousins in the hog industry. We talk about it all the time. And, and I mm-hmm. think by, by understanding what others are doing helps me do a better job as well, right? So the more, the better we get at communicating, the better we are at sharing some of this information. I just think the better the agriculture industry gets 
uh, as time goes on. Yeah, that's one that comes up a lot. And I think another obvious one from, from the, today's from topic, food right? Food, yeah. like it's commu- <laughs> exactly. Communication, obviously, yeah. is, is critical to, to everybody. Yeah. Okay. Um, I, well, thank you once again for coming on. I think it was a, a great topic and, and some great information. Uh, and, and hope you, you enjoyed uh, being on the show. You bet. Uh, much appreciated for having me. And, and yeah, I, I look forward to maybe a, another time in the future, Dan. Yeah, thank you. Looking to elevate your brand and captivate audiences through the power of podcasting? Look no further. Introducing the custom podcast brought to you by Wisemetics, where we take care of the behind the scenes so that you can focus on what truly matters. Podcasting has become an invaluable tool for brand awareness, but let's face it, putting it into practice can be a daunting task. It's incredibly time-consuming and requires technical know-how. But don't worry, we've got you covered. With our experienced team at the help, we'll handle the operational aspects so you can channel your energy into what your company does best. Are you ready to unleash the podcasting potential of your company? Schedule a call with one of our specialists today at the link in the bottom of this episode. You'll also receive a free podcast strategy consult tailored to the unique needs and goals of your business.